Good morning, and welcome to episode 379 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I am Ben Lindberg, joined as always by Sam Miller. And Sam, today is when our odyssey begins, our second annual odyssey through every team. As we preview all 30 between now and opening day, uh, if you were not with us when we did this last year or when we talked about it earlier this week, uh, we will be doing two interview segments per show. The first with someone from Baseball Prospectus or uh, loosely from Baseball Prospectus, someone who wrote for the 2014 annual. And then uh, BP's Nick Wheatley-Schaller will be talking to someone else who covers the team from outside of BP, a, a beat writer, a broadcaster, a columnist. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to this. We hope you enjoy it. I'm excited uh, to find out whether there are any new teams this year. <laughs> Me too. And whether there have been any uh, teams switching leagues, which was a problem for us in the past. Um, so later this show, uh, Nick will speak to Evan Drellick, who is the current Houston Chronicle Astros beat writer. Right now, we will talk to a former Houston Chronicle Astros beat writer and current baseball prospectus author, whom you know from past episodes, Zachary Levine. Hello, Zachary. I'm just excited to hear if there's new theme music this year. <laughs> there is there is not a theme song, oh, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, I know that, that some people will miss it. Um, so, we are actually going to, we're going to ask each of our guests to actually <laughs> sing a theme song <laughs> to transition to the next guest. So be ready, be ready with your 808. <laughs> Um, so Zachary, you wrote the Astros essay in the annual and you mentioned in there that when this, the, the teardown and rebuilding began, you expected that 2014 would be when things really looked up, at least, uh, in terms of wins and losses that, that 2012, you'd start to see some, some young guys come up and 2013, you'd have some guys get established and, 2014, it would start to come together, and uh, it seems now that, that that timeline was a little optimistic, but did we did we see a shift of, of sorts this offseason? Yeah, absolutely, and, and yeah, it was, uh, it was a little optimistic, and, and I think I and probably a lot of other people didn't realize how deep it would go. I think that, that when Bud Norris was traded, it was really a, a signal that this was sort of deeper than than at least I had anticipated that the the previous year's moves of Wandy Rodriguez and, and Brett Myers and obviously Carlos Lee with a couple months to go um, made a lot of sense and and they were a logical step I think once Bud Norris went I think it was just you know they were getting rid of anything that that was even a couple of a couple of years established. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, been a longer process than I anticipated, but this off season, it's definitely, it's definitely changed. Um, you, you had the acquisition of, uh, Scott Feldman, uh, you had, uh, which, uh, and I think Sam wrote about this with the Dexter Fowler acquisition, which was when was the last time they were getting the marquee name in the trade rather than giving up the marquee name in the trade. Uh, and so I, I think those Two things, and yeah, there was some, some sort of uh, fringe spending on the bullpen and uh, the rest of the rotation. But but I think those were the two things that really signified that that it was beginning to turn, however slowly. 
So, so uh, or sorry, Sam. Let me ask yeah. you this: Do you think we can close the book on on the offloading? Do you think that is definitely done? Because there have been times this winter when we've seen some, you know, Jason Castro trade rumors, or maybe even Altuve's name coming up. It, it doesn't seem like an extension has been discussed with with Castro. And uh, are we past the point now where you can say that that guys would still be offloaded to bring in young talent or do you think we might see one or two stragglers still still traded away can i I interrupt real quick can i interrupt real quick i also just want to note that um that whenever they whenever they've added somebody this year there has usually been some speculation that they're adding them to trade them mid-season that that's not the case with feldman but it has been with some of the slightly more famous relievers they've signed as well as fowler Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily informed speculation but there's still a feeling that even these guys might be Jose Veras type pickups. Right. And I think that's something that, that uh, Luno had a good experience with last year. And, um, but to, uh, to Ben's question, uh, I think that they are done with offloading for the sake of offloading. I think that like if they'd traded Altuve, it would have been my impression that it was because Delano De Shields was there, and and they thought that there was going to be something on the way up. If if Castro gets traded, it's it's. I mean, you're not going to get that production, but it's going to be more of a baseball trade where where you think you have more need at other positions, even though it's going to be uh, somebody young. But uh, Castro will be around. Um, they're uh, I guess they're moving De Shields out to center field, so. There's not that, uh, you know, he's not stuck, not that he's major league ready right now or anything like that. But, no, I, I think that there still could be some stragglers, whether the, the guys that they brought in to try to make a, you know, a four-month proven closer and then uh, trade away or uh, or whether it is someone to, to free up a spot. But I, I think they're pretty much done uh, just selling everything that's making over a certain amount of money. I, I think those days are done. Do you think that the Astros have expected to be as bad as they've been? Um, no. Because I, I remember, you know, I, I do that article every year where I look back at things that that teams predicted about themselves. And if you look back at the things Jeff Lunau was saying last spring, you could find him saying somewhat optimistic things like, you know, we think we're going to be better than everyone else. We're going to show people something. And, and I don't know whether that is just something that you say when you're the general manager of a team and you want people to watch your team play baseball or whether you actually talk yourself into that. Yeah. I don't think they talk. I don't think they talk themselves into thinking they weren't a last place team, but uh, there is nobody in that organization who saw 111 losses coming. That's, I mean, that's not something you can ever see coming. And I mean, they lost their last 15 games last year. So even as they were going into the final, uh, you know, three weeks of the season, they didn't think they were going to be as bad as they ended up. Um, you just, that's not, we, you guys talked yesterday about what the, what you can, you don't ever predict somebody to be a league leader in anything. You don't ever predict 111 losses and figure you're 50 50 to go on either side so that is a a definite extreme and i think if they'd lost 100 after losing 106 on 107 it still would have been bad but it it would have been you know uh, something that was within their realm of possibility but i i mean even if 
there was a lot of GM speak in there. The 111 losses was uh, was out of anyone's forecast range. So if the idea behind last year's roster was basically in the simplest form that it's not really worth investing in a team that's going to lose around 100 games, and so they were looking to the you know to the future. Um, there's there's certainly not a contender this year either, um, and you know keeping with the plan that they had, you might have imagined that they would just punt this year too. Um, so what do you think is the and well, uh, and I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate when I say that, but what do you think is the point of, for instance, the Fowler move? What do you think is the point of the Feldman move? And what do you think is the point of, say, the Qualls-Albers uh, moves? Like, like, what do you think is the motive for each of those moves? Yeah, I think they were embarrassed last year. And I think that was sort of a new feeling, that, uh, that the first year that Luno was there, it obviously um, was... You know, they were coming off an awful season and um, they had another one. But I think they've just they've been when they've been in the news, it's just been for really embarrassing things, whether it's on the business side or on the baseball side or on the animated gift side or <laughs> their, their 0.0 television rating. And I think, you know, the, that first year was it was also about some business things. I mean, this is a team that had some debt and they have an ownership group that numbers about 50. And uh, there was, you know, it, it hasn't been the smoothest uh, transition to new ownership. Um, so they I would you would imagine made a, a pretty, pretty significant profit that was going to be needed to take care of some things. And and now I, I think. They were they were definitely embarrassed by what what went on on the field last year, and uh, that's that's why I think the bullpen was such a big thing. Was they would have games where even when they would play well for eight innings, uh, things would go badly and and just in pretty awful fashion. So, um, you know, there's they're not going to contend. Um, I like the one year moves if they can sh- trade guys. I like uh, otherwise the um, the move for a guy like Feldman at three years, where where he's sort of bridging the gap into when they maybe might be competitive. So, do you think that the um, whether they win sixty or seventy this year, do you think that 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 gap that that difference uh, has any significance to their um, you know to their to their long term future? Like, do you do you think if they win seventy, it's sort of uh, has tangible effects on the 2015 team and the 2016 team? Um, you know, yeah, I guess 70 certainly makes it easier to justify moves next offseason. Uh, um, so in that way, I would say yes. Uh, if uh, Otherwise, I guess it depends on, on how the route you've taken to get there. If, it's, um, if the, there's young guys who are uh, who are performing. Um, there's a couple young guys definitely to watch in the pitching staff this year. Um, so if, if you're getting them from the right places, then it's encouraging, but I would certainly think 60, anything, you know, that's closer to the neighborhood of 60 would be looked at as a, a big disappointment this year. I think that, that they are hoping that this work, all this sort of patching up was to, to get them a lot closer to 70. 
I'm really just asking you to speculate here because there's not a lot of precedent for a team that's lost like this. But do you expect there to be much of of a hangover effect as far as fan interest or attendance? In other words, if if this team you know wins 90 games in two years, uh, what percentage attendance will be lost because they were a, a 50 win team instead of you know a 65 win team at the Nadir? Oh, I think at that level, almost not, there'll be no difference. Um, mm-hmm. I think the difference between 65 and 80 is a lot bigger. Like 50 is funnier than 65, <laughs> but 60, between 65 and 80, when you're not even remote, 65, you're not remotely in contention. You probably weren't in contention after about, you know, Memorial Day. Uh, 50, I mean, there's that same difference, but... Uh, um, but I don't think that's a reason why in a couple of years fans wouldn't come out. And the the big thing with interest now is just getting the games on television. Um, they're still in a, a pretty awful TV spot in in a a place where it was supposed to be resolved a couple of years ago. So uh, as a baseball city, it has certainly seen finer days, and and that's for reasons both talent and uh, sort of logistical with the TV deal. Is there any resolution on the horizon for that? Or are we going to see another zero rating TV game at some point this season? I mean, the uh, the timing of the question is good. They spent uh, Tuesday in court. Um, my former colleague David, David Barron from the Houston Chronicle was uh, in court with them all day. Uh, they are suing. Uh, they, excuse me. They are in court with Comcast Sportsnet Houston. Uh, which is trying to declare a bankruptcy and reorganization, whereas the Astros wanted that dismissed so that they could try to get out of their deal with Comcast and go shop themselves to other uh, cable, uh, you know, cable networks that are presumably on the air in Houston, like, say, a Fox Sports or something like that. Um, the thing that makes it really awkward, though, is that the Astros are co-owners of this company that they are in the lawsuit against. Um, they and the Houston Rockets of the NBA and Comcast all co-own this network. So the Astros are, are in court against somebody that they are a partial owner of. And the Astros did not have a good day in court yesterday. The judge granted uh, the uh, bankruptcy reorganization. So right now their deal with Comcast still holds and uh, these other, you know, Comcast is available to Comcast customers. But if you are a, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like a DirecTV or Dish or whatever the, the other, or Uverse or whatever the big cable companies are or the big uh, television providers beyond Comcast, you're not getting Astros games uh, just because they won't pay uh, Comcast, the Comcast Sportsnet's asking fee for a, uh, uh, you know, for this product. Does the um, does the state of the team have any effect whatsoever on the TV situation? Is any part of this at all related to the fact that it's uh, not a particularly appealing product, or is it totally separate? It's somewhat related, but it's not nearly as related as one might think. And the reason I say that is because the other property on that network is the Houston Rockets. And the Houston Rockets are very relevant and have been very good this year. I mean, they, in consecutive uh, offseason, went out and got Jeremy Lin, uh, who was a big TV star, if not an NBA star. Uh, And they got Dwight Howard, who is a big NBA star. Uh, They have... James Harden, a very good player, and and they're right now right in a, a pretty good playoff position in the Western Conference, and they're 
that's still not helping them. So I think there would be more pressure if the Astros were good, and, and the Astros are, are more of an owner in this network than the, the Rockets are. And I don't know if that has something to do with the fact that they play twice as many games and would be twice as much content for this network. Um, but just even the fact that the, the Houston Rockets are good hasn't helped the situation uh, at all. So even there would be no guarantees if the Astros won 90 games this year. Uh, do you think this is a team that is going to be aggressive about extensions maybe in the near future? Are we going to see the Astros trying to lock up their young players to, you know, Evan Longoria, Matt Moore type deals before they really get established? Yeah, I'm not sure the candidates are there right now for that. Um, I guess you would think Jared Cozart is, but I would really hate to, to, think about him just because he had sort of a weird season last year we had a sub two era in his debut despite uh pretty pedestrian if not worse walk and strikeout rates so uh, this wouldn't be the time i'd be extending him but if he can put another good year together i guess he could be the guy to get that matt moore deal i don't think he's necessarily as talented at that age as as moore was uh, at his I guess, level of uh, development rather than age. Um, Castro is probably past that point where you would you would call it a, a more Longoria deal. And then you're looking at a lot of the um, you're looking at prospects from that point. Do you do it when Carlos Correa comes up, something like that? Uh, so I think we're sort of at a, at a gap where where uh, Altuve got his which doesn't really do much it, it mostly just bought out these first few years uh castro is probably past it and then you're probably a couple years away on on some of the next guys but i think it's a uh, uh, something they would do i think they do see the value in that so it just it might not be for a couple of years but when this team is good uh do you think it will operate like a large market team in other words it's been operating like a small market team it's you know been a team that hasn't spent a lot on free agents and the payroll has been comparable or or below other small market teams but is the ceiling much higher so that when things come together they can really afford to to keep their core intact and supplement it yeah i mean the ceiling is much higher because of the market size i mean fourth largest city in the country one of the largest markets it's not the fourth largest market um but uh yeah if the if the team comes together and if at the same time the TV situation comes together, I think that's going to be the key uh, to uh, to operate that team like a, a bigger market team. And I know you talked about their you guys talked about their flirtations with Tanaka. Um, I don't get the sense that they were all that close. Um, but I think that, you know, if they if they get this all resolved and if they're they're closer to putting uh, not just a com- competitive team but a playoff team out on the field you will see them uh starting to to you know push their weight around like they did in the middle of the 2000s and last thing we've we've seen sort of an astros backlash this year i think whereas in the past uh people said you know the astros are smart they're taking advantage of the system this is what we would do if we were in the same situation this year there's been some of that and also some some backlash to to the strategy to the way they're going about this rebuilding do you think that uh that there will be sort of any any cynical um 
do, do you think it will regard be regarded cynically when this team is a winner? Do you think they will be in any way haunted by the way they got there? Will will there be a narrative that they're only winners because they tanked and that anyone could have done it if they had you know pursued the same sort of burn everything down to the ground approach? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I, you've sort of heard some of that with Tampa Bay. Is that yes, right? Yeah, and yeah, I think it'll be it would be even stronger in in this case. But um, you know, I don't I don't think that's a reason not to go about it. But yeah, you're gonna you you hear the same thing in other sports too. But it it doesn't always work out that way. You have teams that that get these first picks year after year after year, and then uh, and then don't you know don't win anything but i think uh they picked another good year to be bad with with what little i know about the 2014 draft the carlos Rodon pick should uh should work out well for them assuming he stays healthy and and stays sort of the consensus number one guy and they can get him signed Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i mean you're going to be looking at a team that already has one of the top farm systems getting someone who I think Jason Parks said would would be one of the top prospects in baseball right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely you know things are are looking up, but it, it's it will be the product of a lot of years of of failure with uh, with Correa, Appel, and uh, and presumably Rodon. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, would you care to make any prediction for this season as far as win total goes? Don't add, no, you don't. He doesn't get a choice. We are asking <laughs> oh, you to make a win I, prediction. It was going to be no. <laughs> well, of course it was. Yes. But now there's no choice. So yeah, sixty-eight. Not bad. Okay, pretty good. Solid season. Yeah, the the Pakota projection uh, is. It looks like a big improvement if you compare it to to last season's actual record. That that's sort of a deceptive way to look at it because Pakota doesn't tend to project teams to lose 51 games uh so really if you want to compare it to last season's preseason projection it's only two games better than that um but it is an improvement uh so thank you zachary for for coming on um as always everyone can read zachary's work at baseball prospectus and in the baseball prospectus annual and follow him at zachary levine thank you zachary thank you for having me All right. uh, So we'll be back tomorrow with another show. We are going in order of projected record from bottom to top. Uh, We will be doing our usual email show on Friday. So you can send us questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And now uh, Nick will talk to Evan Drellick from the Houston Chronicle. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. So on the phone, we have Evan Drellick from the Houston Chronicle. How's it going, Evan? I'm just flattered to be number one on your list, while the Astros are probably number 30 in your hearts. Yeah, unfortunately, we do not rank these by the people who we're talking to, but by the Pocota projected standings. Although the Astros <laughs> have been projected to win about 15 more games compared to, to what they did last year, so that is at least a good sign for them. Oh, if they won 15 more games, I think they'd be very happy. Um, you know, the, the term they keep throwing around, uh, which I think I described as nebulous, and I think that's an accurate description, is significant improvement. And what does that mean for a team that won 51 games a year ago and, and 15 wins more, I think, would, would be that, you know. 
getting a 70, which 15 wins would not do, um, I, you're almost at the point where you throw a parade in downtown Houston. I mean, that, that, that's a good season for the 2014 Astros at the major league level. And, of course, the development around it uh, probably matters more. Definitely. They've lost 218 games over the last couple seasons after being bought by Jim Crane uh, in, in November of 2011. When Crane purchased the Astros, um, he actually agreed to move the team to the American League West following the 2012 season, which was definitely a significant change for them. Um, so they've had a couple of rough seasons. They've been trying to rebuild the farm system. Uh, they went from being one of the worst ranked farm systems to now being number one on Keep, Law, Keep Laws list this past January. So they got some guys like Carlos Correa, George Springer, and Jonathan Singleton who are reporting to spring training. Which of their top prospects do you expect to see in the major leagues at some point in 2014? Singleton should be there by midseason. Um, first base is something of an open competition in spring training. Uh, you know, Brett Wallace is still around. Uh, they, they got Jesus Guzman uh, in a trade. They wanted to do more at first base than they did this offseason, I think. I think they uh, would have preferred to uh, add a, maybe a bigger name. Um, I don't think they'll go after Morales at this point. But Singleton, I think they want to see a little more consistency out of him at AAA before bringing him up. So I, I would handicap him as unlikely uh, to break with the team out of spring training. Springer is a fascinating one because you can make the argument uh, that he should have been up last season. And if he has a fantastic spring training, do they bring him up right away? Uh, and there are two issues there. One is that Springer, for all his talents, and he's very talented, um, he strikes out a lot. And it might be beneficial to see if he can cut down a little bit on that at AAA. The other issue, uh, and that it might be a little bit more important to the Astros, uh, is service time. Because if you bring him up opening day, you're potentially setting yourself up uh, to lose an extra year of control. And for what game? Uh, you know, is the PR gain of having your top prospect like Springer up on opening day worth the extra money you'd have to pay him to retain him uh, that extra season? Uh, so Springer is going to be the fascinating case to watch as spring training unfolds. And if he has a bad spring training, I think that makes their decision a little easier. Um, but if he has a great spring training and he's not there on opening day, uh, you might be able to raise your eyebrow a little bit and say, hmm, I wonder if they're doing this for service time. Um, yeah, Domingo Santana is not too far away. He's an outfielder. Uh, Mike Fultonevich. They've got two guys, Fultonevich and uh, Wojciechowski, I believe I'm saying that right. Um, we just call them Waj and Fulty uh, to yeah. keep it easy. Uh, on the pitching side, uh, you know, they, they, they could be around. Um, yeah, you know, my job's to write, not to pronounce these last names. But, um, yeah, those are guys to watch. Uh, Correa, no. I mean, he's in Major League Camp because they want to give him the experience of Major League Camp. Uh, but I think it'd be shocking if you, you saw him up here um, so young. You know, he doesn't turn 20 until uh, September of this year. Uh, Appel, uh, you know, you, you could see Appel in the majors earlier than Correa, just logically because of age. Um, but I, I think both of those guys, the number one picks, you probably wouldn't see this year. But, you know, would Appel in September be shocking? No. Um, but I, I think they're a little more unlikely. Well, it's definitely been an interesting offseason for the Astros. You talked about as they're making decisions on when to call guys up, they do have to take services, service time into account. They have to think about the timing of when they want to be competitive. They did spend about $30 million this offseason after having a payroll that was at around $20 million. At some times, it was estimated to be around $14 million for the whole year. Last year, they traded for Dexter Fowler. They signed Scott Feldman and a few relievers. And then yesterday, added 
Jerome Williams, uh, who was non-tendered by the Angels. So they at least have some desire to win more games in 2014, but that doesn't seem to be their top priority. So what does the team think would, what would they consider a successful year and how much does that win total actually matter? Well, I, I think the fan base has been pushed as far as they can go. You know, the Astros probably believe that they, by jettisoning literally, well, not literally, but close to literally every part uh, that they could for pieces over the last couple of years, uh, you know, they believe they sped up their uh, rebuilding process. Um, it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting debate because, you know, would it have been what would the value have been in the Astros winning say sixty five games last year as opposed to fifty one? Would that have really been more constructive um, in the short term, the long term? And the Astros seem to feel no, uh, you know, that they might as well go all in on this rebuilding, and, and the fan base has tolerated it. But uh, I don't think they would tolerate it again. I don't think ownership would tolerate it again. Um, the sense I get from people with the team is that they have to be better this year. Um, you know, it's not, uh, if, if they're picking number one again in 2015, uh, something's gone wrong uh, because the days of them being the absolute worst team in baseball in their minds, and it could play out like that, uh, need to be behind them. Uh, so there is, there is added importance this year to being an improved team. They, they can't be as awful as they were. But, yes, in the bigger picture, you know, if let's say they win 67 games, but uh, Correa and Appel and, you know, whatever prospect you want to name, they don't progress, well, where is that getting you in the end? Uh, but, you know, the, the, the farm system is so well built uh, and, and deep enough that, let's say, Mark Appel gets hurt or uh, whatever it might be, you know, one or two prospects has slowed this year. Presumably, um, some others will pick up that slack. One of the big reasons that they were had such a tough time last year was that their pitching staff was 29th in strikeout rate and 30th in walk rate. A lot of that brought down by the bullpen, but their starting rotation was also in the low 20s in, in most categories. And they're going to have a lot of turnover in their rotation. They lost three of their four leaders in innings pitch last year. Jordan Lyles and Eric Bedard left in the offseason. And they traded away Bud Norris uh, in order to acquire uh, L.J. Hose last summer. So they've got a lot of innings up for grabs. And who should we watch out for the rotation in 2014? You mentioned Appel might get there. Uh, Fultinovitz has at least a, a chance to see some time in 2014. He seems to be a more dynamic option. Yeah, uh, in spring, you'll, you'll see the open competitions they're, they're going to have are mostly on the pitching side. Um, posi position player-wise, it's really first base and right field that are kind of up in the air, but uh, both the bullpen and the starting rotation, um, those are going to be uh, wider and, and, and less predetermined. You know, Feldman is obviously going to be in rotation. Um, Matt Albers, Chad Qualls uh, will be in the bullpen. Jesse Crane, whenever he gets healthy, I talked to him about a half hour ago. Um, he threw for the first time since an October surgery. He's probably not going to be ready opening day. He's said as much. Um, so you've got three pieces, you know, are in the bullpen. Uh, you've got a, a starting pitcher, you know, will be there uh, that they added this offseason. Uh, beyond that, Jared Kosart and Brett Oberholzer seem to have a leg up for the rotation. So uh, of the guys competing for spots, those two would be probably there. Uh, it would be surprising if they didn't make the rotation. Uh, now you have Jerome Williams in the mix of the rotation. Then there's Alex White, who's coming back from surgery, who might be better suited to the bullpen, but he could also be in the rotation mix. There's Lucas Harrell, who's out of options. Uh, Dallas Keuchel. Um, so, you know, you're going to have a lot of guys competing for jobs that 
ultimately somewhat win in spring training, but at least the Astros are a position where they have a decent amount of depth because how many teams go through a season with just five starters, right? I think the Tigers might have done basically that this season, but nobody does. Um, so at least they have a, a, a number of arms. But, you know, to handicap the rotation, Feldman, Oberholzer, Cosart, uh, and beyond that, it's a little bit of a, a flip a coin. Brad Peacock is in the mix, um, you know, and we'll see what spring training brings. So the Astros, pretty much singularly, their best player last year was Jason Castro, who had a solid year at catcher, got on base a fair amount, flashed a little bit of power. He just entered his first year of arbitration. Uh, he signed a deal to avoid arbitration, but his clock has been ticking for a while now. So what does the team, what's the team's plan for him moving forward? Yeah, it's interesting to me, having only been here a few months now, um, that Jose Altuve seems to, you know, there's some sort of face of MLB uh, Twitter competition mm-hmm. going on right now. I don't know what that is, really. I haven't followed it. Jason Castro is the best player on this team. I mean, it, you know, not knocking Altuve, but... Um, you know, Castro was a top five catcher in the majors last season. I, 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 it's just interesting people's attachment to Altuve over Castro. Um, the Astros are well aware of uh, Castro's service time clock. Uh, you know, he avoided arbitration. He's on a one-year deal now. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade him at some point. Um, but you know, if, if you trade him, let's say they traded him this offseason or trade him this month. You know, the, today uh, was a one-year anniversary when they made the Jed Lowry deal. If they trade Jason Castro right now for a package of prospects. Well, what, what is that saying about 2014? Um, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, they need to be better this year at the major league level. It can't just be about the farm system anymore. Um, so at some point, I, when the Astros get really good, it, it's a very fair question whether Castro will be here. Uh, but for now, he's their opening day catcher. Um, you know, there are some health questions with him. He, has had need for catch is always scary. Um, he's not the best receiver in the world, and Max Stassi is waiting in the wings, and uh, he's a better regarded receiver. Um, you know, in three years, I wouldn't be surprised if Castro's somewhere else and Stassi's the catcher. Um, and, you know, we very well may see Stassi uh, around the majors this season. Great. So you mentioned that you just started working uh, the Astros beat a few months ago. You had covered the Red Sox previously. So as you've learned more and more about the Astros franchise, who is the player that you've been most surprised by? Who are you really looking forward to start seeing on a daily basis that you hadn't known much about uh, previously? Well, I, I can't profess to have known uh, too much about Springer. I mean, I, that's kind of an easy name to, mm-hmm. to, to pin, but it, you know, if, if there's one guy that seems to be truly exciting, that if I were an Astros fan, you know, I'm, I'm sitting, and you know, the, the farm system stacked, obviously, but... Springer seems to be the dynamic talent. I want to make a Mike comparison, but he's but he's very athletic. Um, you know, he's going to score. He seems to be the, the rarest talent of the bunch. Uh, maybe outside Correa, but Correa is farther away. You know, Springer, you can tell is, is right here. Um, you know, I, I can't say when I took the job, I knew much about him. Um, you know, he, he's from the Northeast, so being in Boston, I heard a little bit about him. But um, you know, he's a guy that. It, it, for me personally, I think it'll be fun to, to watch him play up close. Um, you know, even though I'm a disgruntled reporter, I still do enjoy those things sometimes. It was interesting to see his Pakoda projections. He's projected to be, if you if you put his warp out for the entire season, he would be the best player on the Astros. 
He has the best offensive uh, projection. He's actually projected to be the best offensive player who has a uh, strikeout rate above 30%. The Astros seem to have a lot of guys who strike out a lot. They have some guys like like Chris Carter and uh, Jonathan Singleton who are um, looking like they can walk in addition to striking out. But this was a team that struck out about 25% of the time last year. Yeah, uh, they set a major league record for strikeouts. Um, they, they, Jeff Luno, the general manager, said uh, during the offseason they need to cut back, and they know they need to cut back. Uh, and there is a distinction between good strikeouts and bad strikeouts. Um, you know, if you look at a guy's overall approach, and with Springer, uh, you know, as I said, they it's rare to see a guy strike out as much as he does, and also potentially be as productive um, as Pakota would would have him be. Um, you know, I think they know that. Obviously, the Astros are very smart. They know this. They're aware of the possibility that uh, Springer could come up and struggle. I don't think you, they, you would see them ask him to change his approach before that. Um, but it's possible at some point that the strikeouts would catch up with Springer. Uh, and then they, they'd have to ask him to change his approach, or you know, he would probably feel that need himself uh, to do that. But yeah, they, they knew they, they struck out too much last year. Um, you know, but, it, but it's a hard thing to... It's not like they can really give an instruction to Springer uh, out of the gate this year and say, cut down the strikeouts. I think they need to see if he sinks or swims uh, first off. Well, the good thing about a young team is that you expect players to uh, improve their strikeout rate over time. So at least they'll get a bit better this year. Right, with some experience. And that's, that's, you know, that's a fair argument for why you would send him to AAA. You know, even if he has a great spring training, um, you know, but that's not a bad PR move. Well, you know, we just want to make sure that when he gets here, he's ready to stick. Um, and and you could knock him for that. I don't think. You know, why why bring him up with with a lot of pressure uh, if if they still feel that there's some development to be done? Um, you, know, you, you can't just make moves to satiate the fans. Obviously, the most notable acquisition by the Astros this year was their trade for Dexter Fowler. Fowler's an an interesting guy. He uh, th- does a decent amount of walking. He's a Low average fielding center fielder, but gets on base enough. Um, is an above average base runner who doesn't steal a lot of bases. So, what are the expectations for him uh, coming from a team like the Rockies going over to the Astros? Well, there's a feeling that those below average defensive metrics are a product of cores. Um, now, that might not be the case, but that gave the Astros some optimism. Uh, you know, when they're doing their their research and their background checks and all that, um, that the numbers might at least be a little bit off, that he might be better than what we think he is in center. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at the offensive numbers, he's he was considerably better at cores than he was away from cores. Um, so, so he's a, you know, he, yes, he's a very solid player, but there's a couple things to watch with him. Um, uh, whether he can, whether the defense is what we thought it was, and whether or not he can be the same caliber of offensive player uh, outside of course. Uh, but, you know, Fowler's kind of the, the quintessential pickup that you look at and say, okay, the, the tenor has changed a bit. Um, they need to be a little bit better this year. Uh, you know, Fowler's, if Fowler is here in 2016, I think that would be surprising. Um, but, you know, it could happen. Um, you know, maybe they finally get their cable situation worked out and they can sign them to a long-term deal and, and all that. But, you know, right now, uh, you know, they've got so much going on. There's a, such a great backdrop for this team. And I say great from a storyline perspective, not, obviously not great for them. But, you know, there's a lawsuit out against the former owner, Drayton McClain. Um, 
today they were just put into bankruptcy proceedings. Comcast uh, Sportsnet Houston was, uh, which the Astros didn't want. They wanted uh, the bankruptcy case to be thrown out of court. And, um, you know, so there's a chance again this year that only 40% of Houston will have an, an opportunity to watch the Astros if they don't work something out. Um, and that's a real concern, you know, that they've got a TV is, is revenue. And, uh, even when the prospects get here, they're going to have to spend from outside at some point, you know? Yeah, well, they definitely have some guys who are coming up who they might want to sign to extensions. We mentioned Jason Castro. If Astros had a bit more money, he'd be the kind of guy who they might want to extend, buy out some arbitration years, so he'd st- still be on the team as their other prospects get to the majors. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe they end up with Jose Abreu, who they were uh, uh, highly interested in. I would doubt they would have ended up with Tanaka, who they were rightly interested in, as pretty much everybody was. Uh, but yeah, you don't know. It's hard to... Uh, from what I hear, the budget has never been changed because of... Uh, you know, It's not like they've been told there's a figure, and then as this cable situation has unfolded, uh, they had to cut back from that. They had about $30 million to spend this offseason. They did that. They didn't feel like they had to spend every dollar of it, um, but they found a way to do it in, in a way that made them happy. And then, uh, you know, for Tanaka and Abreu, situations like that, uh, they go to Jim Crane, the owner, and they, they basically get special permission, and uh, it's been granted. So it doesn't seem to have handicapped them too much, but it does make you wonder, okay, if this TV situation were not um, so troubling, could they have done even more? Uh, maybe, you know, that, that anybody can look in their crystal ball on that one. All right, Evan. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Uh, I hope you enjoy your beat this year. I'm sure it'll be a much different experience than following the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, I think a little, just slightly different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's, it's it's there aren't many teams right now that are as fascinating to watch as the Astros, uh, just from kind of a overall perspective. You know, look at everything that's going on, the direction of the team. Um, they might be short on wins. They won't be short on storylines, right? That's a pretty good uh, tagline for me. All right. That sounds like a good approach to take into the, the next year. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, Evan. Thanks again to Evan Drellick for starting off our 2014 preview series. You can find Evan's writing on the Houston Chronicles website, cron.com, or follow him on Twitter at Evan Drellick. That's D-R-E-L-L-I-C-H. On tomorrow's show, I'll be speaking with Juan C. Rodriguez, the Marlins beat writer for the Miami Sun Sentinel.